It takes thousands of hours to become an astronaut. Right, Nina? Oh, I'm not an astronaut. I'm a design consultant at the Container Store. But you explore space. I help you find space with our Alpha Closet systems. And you're an expert. Pretty good at it. And you use satellites to communicate. I'm doing more virtual in-home closet designs, but I wouldn't say... We salute you, astronaut Nina, for helping us find space. You're welcome. The Alpha sales bonus is here. Earn up to $500 in credit now through February 7th at the Container Store, where space comes from. Welcome to Elton and John's Illegal Weekly, where nothing makes sense because everything makes sense. Basically, every narrative we've had in La Liga this season no longer stands up to scrutiny. Real Madrid under Zidane, weak and effective Cavaliers who can't get a result. Top of the league. Barcelona can't win a wave. Alberti on borrowed time. Two wins in a week. Top four, two points off the top. Uh, athletic, super strong Basques, meaty and uncompromising against shambolic Valencia. Yeah, well, you know where we're going. Well played, Valencia. <laughs> athletic is Yao Felix, the man to finally bring some flair. No, Kieran Trippier fouling Aiden Hazard is what they're all about. That feels better. Yago Aspas, genius, never misses a penalty. <laughs> oh dear, Yago, have a rethink. In fact, the only side still booking any sort of trend is Granada, who was second when every sensible pre-season prediction had them fighting relegation. Oh, and thankfully, Luke de Jong is still rubbish, so there's a trope this season that still works. <laughs> yes, we've had two rounds of games since we were last here. Only Barca and Abar have won both. Only Mallorca have lost twice. Anyway, let's get down to the action. There is a, a lot of football to be watched. Terry Gibson has been to Barcelona, uh, where uh, you, you weren't able to use your... You can't use your Premier Sports fancy uh, app thing abroad, can you, it turns out. It's a tiny bit frustrating, Premier Sports, but there we are. I'm sure, you, I'm sure um, it's all in the careful planning of the, of, of the deals. Um, so, Terry, where, where do we start? Do you agree with my analysis that... It's hard. Everything we're trying to create this season, every story we're trying to get going, it's difficult to stand it up, isn't it? Because all the criticism we've aimed at Real Madrid, they are top of the league. And, and who are two yeah. points behind them? Barcelona. <laughs> so, there's only really, yeah, like I said, there's only Granada significantly in the wrong place. Exactly. I think, I think the, the dramatic turnaround has been... When you analyse Real Madrid's season so far, they were criticised for a couple of draws... A draw at VRL, draw at home to Vidalid. Um, They were getting criticism before the season started. Zidane was getting criticism, I should say, um, because of the pre-season form. And then all of a sudden, they're, they're top of the league. And I think that it, it's been a dramatic turnaround from the, the result and the performance against PSG. I think then, I have to be honest, I, I didn't expect... I expected a reaction from those players because... They're, they're superstars. They, they, their egos would have been well and truly dented after the the criticism they received from the not just the result against PSG, but the performance, the fact that PSG were missing their three superstars. So I expected a, a response from Real Madrid. And what we've seen in the, in the two games after that, it was hard to analyse against Osasuna because they made eight changes. Osasuna made seven changes. But they did keep a clean sheet. And then again at the weekends, they defended really well. And I'm not just talking about the back four. I'm talking about the midfield players. The front players were more disciplined in how they defended. 
and I think they've just refocused. It 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 needed an incredibly bad performance and bad result for them to get their minds back on their jobs, be determined not to receive that criticism in the future. I think we have to wait and see to you know whether that's going to they can can sustain that that focus. Um, but it's it's interesting to see. We shouldn't be in any doubt though. When you look at the players that Real Madrid have got, they've got an, quite an extensive injury list, and they've had it like the majority of big clubs throughout Europe for the the most part of this season already. But you shouldn't be in any doubt when you look at the players they've got when they put their their team out against Atletico Madrid yesterday, and you're seeing slightly surprised that Hamez was on the bench because I think he's he's been a real feature of their team in recent weeks. Um, a bit more pragmatic from Zidane to go with Fede Valverde. Um, so I was slightly disappointed that Hamas didn't play because he's, he has been playing so well. So they come off the PSG game, they beat Severe, kept a clean sheet, beat Osasuna, kept a clean sheet. And Hamas has featured in, in those two previous games as well. So uh, it, it remains to be seen whether they can continue that focus. You know, when they, they go into their next game, and it, it, are they going to rest on their laurels? Are they going to genuinely believe now that they've got the, 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 the team and the mindset to compete with Barcelona this season? The next game is against top, actually top first, top two facing each other in the next game. Is it Real Madrid against Granada? <laughs> yes. So it's, uh, we never thought we'd be saying that, um, <laughs> that Real Madrid would be top and Granada second. Um, so it, it's, uh, it, it remains to be seen whether they can maintain it, as I said. But in the last three games since that PSG match, they, you know, they've played exactly as you would expect a team like Real Madrid to play with this, the, the superstars that they do have. So I mean, you, they've had one or two issues at left back. Modric has been missing, but when you look at the rest of the team, you're talking Courtois and Goal, Carvajal, Ramos, Varane, Casemiro, Kroos, a front three of Benzema, Bale, Hazard. It's it's it is a team that that should be accumulating 15 points after seven games, uh, and obviously Vinicius and Rodrigo scored goals in the week. Rodrigo certainly made an impact, didn't he? The the young the younger Brazilian uh, coming off the bench and seconds later scoring a really good goal, lovely control and finish as well. well. Then the derby wasn't as good. It was one for the purists is the is the cliche. I enjoyed it, but I, I noted. I looked on the on Twitter afterwards, and I noticed uh, that you had a, a little bit of a, a disagreement with the chap who basically said Spanish football is boring yeah. off the back <laughs> of that game. Now, half a game, rightly, yeah, he yeah, yeah, half time. Yeah, yeah <laughs> yes. So yeah, forty-five minutes, and he's written off a whole uh, a whole genre of uh, football. Uh, however, does he have a point in that? Is there a danger no. <laughs> that the best teams are getting a little bit too, that the tactics are really good, that the tactics are a little bit overwhelming and that they're not, that we, we don't have a, right, uh, Real Sociedad are different because they, they play probably too open. Is there a danger that the top teams at their best are keeping it tight, tough, tactical, difficult to beat and lacking a little bit of flair? No, I, I... No, I, I don't think so. I think that that game yesterday evening was not a one-off because it, it's not unusual to see tight games involving Atletico Madrid in particular. So it's they, they don't overcommit. They don't risk losing too much. It was a game where both teams at the end would have been happy with the result. Barcelona would have been would have been delighted because it allowed them to close the gap. 
Um, but I think both teams were happy not to get beat. That happens in a lot of games where that, that fear of failure, that, 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 the, the lack of commitment to actually going out and winning the game, I think was evident last night. I have an issue which is a, a bit bigger and, and I, I see a lot of players now. I think, actually, if you analyse the teams, first of all, I thought at least both teams were solid at the back. Both teams were hard-working in midfield. If anything, they lacked inspiration in the attacking end of the pitch. And I don't think it was purely because of the strength of the defences. I think that the attacking players in that game last night, to simplify it, played poorly. Um, so, therefore, the defences weren't under any you know, severe stress. You look at the attacking players. For Atletico, Diego Costa was absolutely abysmal. He's... Every now and then he scores a goal. He scored a goal midweek against Mallorca. You get every now and then you get a half a decent performance out of him, and you think there's there's light at the end of the tunnel for Costa. He barely moved in that game last night, and the big difference between Costa now and the Costa of five years ago is that he doesn't want to run behind defenders anymore. So he comes mm. to feet all of the time. Gel <coughs> Felix likes to come to feet all of the time. For Real Madrid, you got. Bell and Hazard were working hard up and down the flanks, but were restricted in terms of it appeared they weren't allowed to drift in towards Benzema. Benzema drops deep a lot of the time. And I hear a lot of people saying playing between the lines, building, you know, working it from the back to playing out the back into midfield, into the front. But ultimately, at the end of it, you have to get behind defences to score goals. I mean, we, we had the unusual game uh, midweek Barcelona against Villarreal where we had two unbelievable goals one from Arturo Barcelona one from Cazorla and a, and a header from Griezmann so three goals in that match that was a good game didn't come from actually getting behind defences but nor- normally a, a high percentage of goals are scored from somehow getting behind defences getting behind the back four whether that's a ball over the top, which we saw from Barcelona's goal yesterday from Luis Suarez, or playing, you know, wide players in behind the fullbacks, getting crosses into the box. So when you get two teams where the attacking players all wanted the ball to feed, or were quite ineffective in terms of Bell and Hazard in terms of just playing up and down in a straight line, I, 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 I miss someone like Jamie Vardy, where. Defenders are playing. Both teams weren't deep yesterday. They played quite high up the pitch. And I miss seeing someone continuing to make runs in behind because it is the last thing defenders want to do. And we hear this saying, playing between the lines. But ultimately, playing between the lines and a player picking the ball up in between the midfield and the defence then has to be um, constructive in terms of somehow eventually playing the ball in behind defenders for players to run onto, to attack, get behind fullbacks, get behind the central defenders, make centre-halves run back towards their own goal. We didn't see that. We hardly saw that at all yesterday. We saw lots of good football, but no, nobody was looking to threaten the, the grass in behind the, the, the back fours. It's almost out of fashion, isn't it, at the moment? Exactly. To, 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 exactly. to play that way. And there's a real focus... And you get this in England and you get it in, I've seen it in the Bundesliga and watching the, the, the highlights on there as well, where the, the, the obsession with playing from the keeper um, into central defenders who then play uh, through, through that line. So teams are taking big gambles doing that just to break out there. And you think, 
Right. Okay. So, one, what's the gain from doing that compared to the risk? Yeah. And secondly, who's doing it is is my issue with that because you look at even in La Liga, even in La Liga with all these good technical players, you're almost saying your worst player is going to start every attack. So you give it to a central defender who's deeply uncomfortable uh, in possession, and then getting closed down, losing possession, and and conceding goals. And every single weekend. We're seeing it now across La Liga, across the Premier League, where teams are, are playing themselves into trouble, conceding goals that they needn't concede. And it's almost like the major source of goals. If you if you rattle through the 20 odd goals that you get in a weekend, well, you know, three or four of them are a result of teams just putting themselves under needless pressure. Yeah, exactly. I think what was surprising yesterday as well with Atletico is, in fairness, they did try to get, in particular, Kieran Trippier out on the right side high up the pitch, to get behind, to get crosses in. And and nine times out of ten, when he was getting the ball to cross it, Jean Felix was coming deep, and Costa was running towards Kieran Trippier, instead of being the traditional centre-forward in the box, with a cross coming in high from a good crossing position, not just slinging it in from anywhere. And Costa was running towards, and Trippier was looking up, and there was literally nobody in the box. So I, I think you're right. I think that... They're, there has to be an end product. I don't, I've got no issue with teams playing out the back if it's the right time to do it, playing through midfield. But ultimately, you have to do a Manchester City. They do it better than anybody else. They do it like Barcelona used to do it, which Barcelona is still capable of doing when they get their fit players back and Valverde finally settles down with a midfield three. And Jordi Alba is back in particular. He's a massive loss for, for Barcelona at the moment. So those two, Barcelona do it, Manchester City do it, Liverpool do it. I have enough knowledge of other teams around Europe because most of my, my life is watching Spanish football and, and, <laughs> and the Premier League. But there are teams that do it really well. So they play out the back, they're playing to midfield, but there is all, there is, they're always looking to have their end product as a, a series of rehearsed moves that Manchester City and Barcelona and Liverpool achieve that they know when you know certain players are in possession, it triggers off movements from other players. They don't just look to keep continually playing the ball into the striker's feet for him to play it back, for the midfield player then to play it wide, for it to come back inside, to go out onto the the opposite wing, back into midfield, back into the forwards' feet, back into midfield. It, they, those, that's the bit that, that drives me mad. And and I think when you get in the attacking half of the pitch, that's where teams become, particularly in a game like last night became a little bit fearful of making a mistake, giving the ball away, another, allowing the other team to play on the counter-attack, possibly. And and it becomes a little bit tedious, uh, too repetitive, and you, you don't see the variation in, in attacking play. So I think that there needs to be a, a, a more positive approach when the ball's in the attacking half of the pitch to try and get players in behind. Because centre-halves, I promise you, no matter how quick they are, will, would hate playing against a striker that's continually looking to make runs in behind. Some games go through now and we get two or three offsides where that goes to show, you know, def- the, you know the defences are on top, no-one's threatening in behind, they can drop off at the appropriate level, not too deep, not too high, and no-one's running in behind getting caught offside. Some players we've moaned about in the past that are always can get caught offside 10, 12 times a game. We're not getting that hardly at all now. Um, because there's a, as you said, I think is the exact way to say it. It's out of fashion to have a Jamie Vardy who's a nuisance that's always 
threatening, running, playing on the, the shoulder of the last defender, making those runs in behind teammates at, at Leicester would know that that's what he's trying to do. They try and thread him in. Um, we, we, we do have a lack of those strikers about at the moment. Uh, right, Barcelona, Terry, before we uh, take a break. Uh, is everything fine now? Uh, we were, you know, to, when just a week ago, literally a week ago, uh, we were talking about Valverde uh, being under pressure, the problems they Out. had. They started really well against uh, Villarreal, got a couple of early goals, as you say, Artur's goal uh, was brilliant. And then Suarez chasing down a long ball, got them underway against Hatafe away win at Hatafe is a good result and and we yeah. were taking the mick out of poor with with a little caveat with a little asterisk next to it uh, we were taking the mick out of junior Firpo, uh but of course he scored uh, so there's another narrative uh, uh, struck <laughs> off um and you know it's, it's just been a much much better week it's there's obviously you know it's, it's, a, it's a cliche it's a results business couple of wins and suddenly people can smile again. Yeah, they're, they're not out of the woods yet. And I think that partly a lot of that is down to the fact they're still missing injured players. So Messi comes back, goes off injured at half-time. Dembele made an appearance. He wasn't fit for yesterday. When you looked on the bench, there was there was no good... Hatafe had a better bench yesterday than Barcelona mm. in terms of attacking players. So if they wanted to, to get back into the game, the options were there for Bordelas. There was no option for Valverde yesterday if things went against Barcelona. So until they get Alba back, Messi back, then Belly fully fit, it, life is is going to be be, be be tough for Barcelona. Um, but there can be no complaints about the way they played against Villarreal. Thought they were going to run away with it the first fifteen minutes. Um, but to Villarreal's credit, we've seen a better Villarreal this season. They they made life difficult for Barcelona. And at the weekend, it was always it was yesterday. It was always going to be tougher. Barcelona Hatafe, the tackles come in thick and fast. There's an aggression about Hatafe, which is, you know, is their style of play, which will always make life difficult for a Barcelona, a Real Madrid, or an Atletico Madrid. Um, they don't show too much respect to their opponents. And it was an unusual goal <clears throat> for Barcelona, the first one. A well worked goal, I have to say, because it, it wasn't a goalkeeper just coming out and smashing it and hoping. He's picked out the ball over the top of the defence. Suarez is doing exactly what I was talking about earlier in the podcast about playing on the shoulder of the last defender, a tidy finish. It was good to see Firpo get the goal because I can only imagine the week he's had in terms of he probably possibly thought the worst after being taken off at half-time in his debut. Solid game against Villarreal, then scores the goal against Hatafe. So that, that will allow him to you know, integrate himself into the team far easier than, than seven days ago. Um, Chagipta asks a question. It's a good question. Surely there must be a logical... Actually, it's not a question. It's just a statement. Um, surely there must be a logical reason behind all these Real Madrid and <clears throat> Barcelona injuries. I think you'd add in um, lots of big teams have got players uh, injured at the moment. Surely the, the fact that the players never seem to get a proper rest would be a factor in that, wouldn't it? I mean, I haven't got any stats to back that up. I'm not... Totally. Yeah, but it just seemed instinctively the fact that they play summer tournaments and then they're going away touring and playing in all parts of the world, surely it's not letting the players get fully fit. No, they... they uh, my opinion, and, and it's my belief after my experience over the years, is that a, a coach and players would love at least... I would say four weeks, but they'd be grateful for two weeks 
preparation without any games. Mm. So it, I'm not going back to the, my days where we had two or three weeks without ball, just running your, your, your balls off until you were <laughs> sick for two or three weeks. It, it's, it's, you know, training is, is far better now, but the, the last thing they need after in the first two or three weeks is a competitive game because all these games, there's, there's no non-competitive game. If you're Real Madrid... You're going on tour every game. You're under, you know, the, the microscope. There's no hiding away. There's no preparation. So within a, a week of being back training, you're probably, in some cases, some players literally arrive at training one day and they're flying off to America, Australia, China the next day and taking part in a friendly three or four days after they've turned up back for pre-season training. So any sport in the world. You know, the, the the participants need to prepare for a season. And unfortunately for footballers at the moment, particularly at the big clubs, which hence the reason we might be looking at a, a team that's in second place in Granada that have had that three or four weeks preparation, not having to travel, not playing too many games, playing exactly the type of games that suit them. Um, perhaps that's one of the reasons why we shouldn't be surprised that a team that has had a proper pre-season preparation has picked up 14 points and a line in second place. Uh, let's take a break and we'll come back and have a look at the, the best of the rest of the action from the, the last week in La Liga. A different future starts with you. That's why GoDaddy does more than help you find a name. You can create, sell, and get found online so any small business can drive change or build an empire. We need a new generation of thinking. Your way of thinking. Start different at GoDaddy.com. Hey, it's your home, and I need to ask you a few favors. In the kitchen, there's a spider stuck between the window and the screen, and I know it's dead, and technically it's outside, but it's still freaking me out. Can you flick it out or something? Also, just to save some money and it's super easy, could you bundle your home and car insurance with Geico? Last thing, could you take the holiday decorations down? Yeah, I'm one of those. Geico. For bundling made easy, go to geico.com today. Welcome back. Hopefully you heard some adverts and we'll be rich. That'll be another fiver to uh, to share out amongst the uh, amongst the team. <laughs> Um, right then, yeah, let, let's briefly, we haven't got time to do every single game. Uh, Selton aren't, aren't playing particularly well, a 1-1 draw with Espanyol. Uh, Yago Aspas, he's had a lot of praise, Terry, uh, in recent seasons, deservedly so. Have you ever seen a penalty that bad? Um, did you ever miss no, a penalty? It, I did miss a penalty. Uh, it was for Country City against Manchester United at Old Trafford. Um, it was saved by a goalkeeper called Stephen Pears, who I'm sure oh, you'll yeah, remember because yeah. oh, Middlesbrough yes. goalkeeper. Yeah. He tipped it to, to the side and thankfully someone crossed it back in and I got the tap in. Ah. Um, <laughs> so I didn't score direct from the rebound. It was probably 20 seconds after the penalty had been missed. So it was. Uh, I actually got more stick for not taking a penalty and a teammate missing. Um, because I did bottle it. It was against Arsenal for Coventry. It was towards the end of the game. I think we got beat by the odd goal and Pat Jennings was in goal and I just never had any belief that I was... <laughs> Pat Jennings was my hero. It was one of the first autographs I ever got. 
and and I just had no belief that I could stick a penalty past Pat Jennings. Kenny Hibbett, um, from uh, Wolves player, um, who joined up with us at Coventry. He was the experienced professional at the time. He took it and Pat Jennings saved it. <laughs> and I got so slaughtered how, by the manager, Bobby Gould, for, for, for bottling it. How, how did the conversation go? Because it's obviously it's the opposite of what we've seen a couple of times this season of players fighting over the ball. So what happened? Did you pick up the ball and give it to Kenny Hibbert and say, you have it? I, I, I can't recollect completely, but... Kenny possibly looked at me and saw that I was a little bit apprehensive. Um, right, yeah. I would have been 20 at the time. Kenny would have probably been 32, 33. So it was, it was possibly an experienced player seeing a, a young player not looking yeah. particularly confident that he was going to be taking a penalty against one of his heroes. <laughs> and yes. uh, just asked, must have asked, he must have asked me, do you want me to take it? Or he, he perhaps he suggested he fancied taking it, and I just passed it over. Uh, do you missed. think you could have? <laughs> do you think you could have saved Aspas's penalty? <laughs> yes, my three-year-old grandson <laughs> could have saved Aspas's penalty. <laughs> and, and, and if anyone hasn't seen it, seriously, that is not an exaggeration. It is clearly the worst penalty I've ever seen in my life. Um, I, I think it was the last kick of the game, and they got beat two 0 So, whether he was aware that the the whistle was going to be blown, then he tried to do the Penenka, but it was the worst attempt at a Penenka I've ever seen. Dimitrovic has dived, hasn't he? And yeah. and couldn't believe that he could just like sit back up again, <laughs> and it was so slow. Yeah. I couldn't yeah, believe he reached. parried it. Yeah, <laughs> it barely reached. It was a Penenka gone wrong. It barely reaches the. Six yard box by the time the goalkeeper saved it, and he was on his line when he when he took it. Um, it was yeah, it was it was comical. It didn't cost Celta because, as I said, it was the last kick of the game, and they were two 0 down. Um, but it's been a dreadful run of results for Celta, and, and allegedly Fran Escobar has one more game to save his job, um, and that's next week against Athletic Bilbao. We'll be looking to get back on a winning track, so. I think everybody expected more from Celta because of the players they signed, um, but it hasn't been forthcoming so far this season. So it's been a, a disappointing start. Midweek draw at home to Espanyol where Santi Mina equalised to make it one on the 94th minute. So it's been a dreadful start to the season. Surprisingly bad start for Celta again. Uh, who is Whose neck is on the block most? Uh, is it Gallejo at Espanyol or yes. Escribar? Um, yeah. There's a point a point between them, isn't it? Espanyol are actually in the drop zone, aren't they? Um, after well, just a dreadful start to the season. I mean, it's I know they they're in the European uh, competition as well, which we always sort of feared for them, didn't we? Because yes. they sort of stumbled into seventh place unconvincingly last season with a bit of a ragtag team. They have under, seriously underinvested now over a lot of years, and. The, the only mystery is you look at them and you think, oh, yeah, somehow they're in Europe as well as struggling in, in La Liga. So I'll let you answer the question that I asked about five minutes ago. Uh, uh, who, who's <laughs> likely to go first? Well, Espanyol play Mallorca next week. I'm not even sure that David Gallejo will last the week. So they travel right, to yeah. Mallorca, uh, they go to Mallorca next week who are in a similar position as them. Um, the, the reason I suggest that he might not last the week is because of the amount of criticism and, and 
booze he got from the crowd after losing at home 2-0 to, to Vidalid. So, yes, it's a reason for maybe not starting the season off great that you're doing these games in the Europa League, but it's not... It's not a massive excuse. It's to be as as poor as they've, as, as, as they've done this season. Lost their manager in Ruby, who's gone on to bigger and better things at Betis, where he's <laughs> under pressure as well. And lost Borja Iglesias. So they're the, the, the sort of two biggest departures that it clearly looks like they're, they're suffering from. Uh, right, let's, let's have a quick word on the Athletic uh, Valencia uh, game, because... The, as I say, the prevailing narrative of the season should have been that would have told you that Athletic should have won that game because they'd been strong, robust, getting everything right under Garitano. Valencia had made a, a change that we all found inexplicable, um, and yet Valencia win the game. And you're talking about old-fashioned ways of scoring goals and basic things. They scored that goal basically. Cheryshev ran about seventy, sprinted seventy meters, I reckon. Um, without touching the ball, just to get a tap in, and some old-fashioned values do do they're there for a reason, aren't they? Exactly. It was um, it was a really close game. I won't be too critical on Gary Turner on this because I don't think there's a lot between the two teams. Athletic finished the season well last season. They were both in a similar position last year, weren't they? Where they Marcelino survived. Um, Barrizzo got the sack. Gary Turner came in and made the difference, and both had really good second half of the season and I think Valencia are being slow to start the season because for, for obvious reasons there's been stuff going on behind the scenes that led to Marcelino leaving they are in Europe a fantastic result at Chelsea so I don't think there's a lot between these two teams and, and it could have gone either way possibly a draw would have been a fair result and Yaki Williams was lively couldn't take one of, one of the two chances that, that came his way um, so it, it'd be interesting to see how Athletic bounce back. I've seen the pattern of their three wins at home, two draws away, which led me to be not utterly convinced they were going to be the real deal again. Um, but I think that they'll be there or thereabouts for a Europa League spot. So it's a big win, tough win for Valencia after drawing midweek. They had they were the team that played Hatafe midweek probably. Thought they were getting the three points at three one up, but Hatafe don't give up. Um, eventually got a three three draw, so the, the pressure's been eased off of Salades because of the result against Chelsea. Good result this week against Athletic Bilbao, and and things slowly but surely improving for Valencia. But that that was a tough game. It's not one where you could say the manager didn't do this, the manager didn't do that. That was a really competitive, close game of football, and and Valencia just shaded it in the end. Um, quick word on Betis. Terry, uh, well, it's impossible to give us a quick word on any team, because I come back to the theme. There are very few teams playing with any kind of consistency that allows you to, to maintain a narrative, because midweek Betis do well. Um, uh, Lauren Moron got a couple, Iglesias scored. And then, actually, I was going to say they got hammered. They obviously did get hammered by uh, Villarreal. It could have worked out differently. Betis had good chances, didn't they, before they ended up going on to lose the game 5-1? Yeah, two really, really late goals to go from 3-5-1. to five, one. Then it becomes a hammering. One all uh, and, until Villarreal completely turned it around in the second half. So it was that was a tough game, tough loss for Betis, but it wasn't good enough. The performance to defend him wasn't good enough. Um, the result flattered Villarreal, but they clearly deserved to win that game. In midweek, Joaquin, the three goals, he assisted all three. 
at the age of 38 and was absolutely phenomenal. It was it was ironic because you're watching Betis and Cazorla, um, and Joaquin playing so well and then Cazorla playing absolutely brilliant against Barcelona. You've got a 38-year-old, a 34-year-old. Then we're looking around at a 16-year-old at Barcelona. Kubo is 17 and all these young players coming into the, the teams throughout the leagues. And I think I, I've worked it out that Rodrigo and Vinicius, their ages combined in the two goal scorers for Real Madrid midweek didn't get up to Joaquin, who was absolutely <laughs> phenomenal in midweek. So I think it was was it a nineteen and an eighteen year old and, and Joaquin is thirty-eight. So it was um Betis are they need to do better though. They they really must and I think Ruby is the, the next manager under pressure because managers of Betis shouldn't be getting you know beaten five one. So the next few games for them are, are really important. And it's, uh, I'd like to see Betis higher in the league, if I'm being perfectly honest. 15th at the moment, eight points. I know it's relatively early in the season. Um, they play Abar on Friday night, so that'd be a good opening fixture to the next week's fixtures. Yes, and it has to be a Friday night, of course. Wouldn't want to play on a weekend, would they, uh, Betis? A player who's been catching the eye this season, Terry, the good thing about it being the end of September and not anywhere near the transfer window is that we don't have to listen to an awful lot of rubbish uh, about transfer speculation. However, the Daily Mirror this week, the uh, English tabloid newspaper, is saying Odegaard to Wolves. What? Surely not. Uh, Tell us about Odegaard. Yeah. Doesn't make any sense, does it? Surely it doesn't make any sense. No, he's not going to Wolves. No, uh, no, I, good. I guess George Mendes would be somewhere in amongst that, but no. And I mean, this with all due respect to Wolves, Odegaard should be back at Real Madrid. I know it's early in the season and we have to sort of temper the enthusiasm, but he's. I think he's been the outstanding player in La Liga this season. We're seven games in. There hasn't been a game yeah. where he hasn't been effective and he's playing that position which possibly some people think I don't like, which is the second striker. The reason I don't like it is they get away with not scoring goals and not making goals. He's doing all of that. He's, he's range of passing. He's uh, first touch, his ability to run with the ball, 20 years of age. Uh, no, if uh, I would be, I'd be flabbergasted if Real Madrid don't get him back next season. Um, yeah, I, but I, would you rather I, I, he played? Because I, 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 I like to see him on the pitch. My my fear, I, yes. I, I, I agree. I think he's been brilliant this season. But my fear of going to Real Madrid is that he'd sit on the bench again. And also, my fear if he goes back to Real Madrid is where he would play. Yeah, because at the moment I'm seeing him playing like a a four two three one system for Real Sociedad, where he is in the middle of the three. So, Real Madrid's have got Isco. Hamez is back there now. They've had Ozil. So they, they've, they've never, those type of players have never really flourished in their proper position. So I don't see why it would change for Martin Odegaard to go in and play. Would he play in a 4 3 3 in midfield? I don't, I think he could do that job like Hamez is doing, you know. But I think his best position is playing where he's playing for Real Sociedad in a, in a, an attacking midfield position. Um, so I think that that's going to be the only sticking point. Plus, allegedly there wasn't a great relationship between him and Zidane when 
he was at Real Madrid and, and Zidane was the B team manager with him in it. So, but I, he, he has so far from what we've seen this season, he clearly has the quality to be a future Real Madrid player at the age of 20. The way he's playing has been absolutely phenomenal this season. Some so of the passes just, he's made for the goal has been beautiful to watch. Just in, using in that case, using your knowledge of the transfer market, which which is which is good. Where do you expect him to be next season, Terry? Is it worth if you're if you are a club, um, you know one of the top English clubs? If you're one of the the severe level clubs, is he worth pursuing next season, or will he definitely be at Real Madrid? It depends on the price. John, it depends who's manager of Real Madrid. It depends on whether they want him back, uh, whether the manager wants him back. If the manager is Zidane, I, I'm doubtful whether he would want him back. Someone at Real Madrid, Florentino Perez, might think it's a good idea to, to bring him back against the wishes of the manager. Then we know what happens then. He, he doesn't play, doesn't get picked. If It depends on whether Real Madrid want to cash in on him. Um, it depends on the price. But I um, and we need more evidence than just seven rounds of football. But looking at a play, you can, you can get an instant feel for it. Where you think, Christ, he's good at this, he's good at that. He's effective as an end product. Um, he's an all-round really good footballer. You, I don't know what the price would be. I mean, I'm sure, but I think he would be the level of um, Champions League teams in all the big cl- uh, leagues in Europe. I think yeah. he's at that, that level and potential as well. So, you know, if you're one of the Champions League teams in the top four in your division, in you know, not so much in Germany because it would be two clubs in Germany, the big Italian teams, the Juventus maybe, in England you would clearly, any, any team in England at the age of 20, if he was 50, 60 million, I, it, it has to be a possibility. But uh, as I say... I don't want to get carried away because it's seven weeks in. Come Christmas, we might be saying where's Odegaard's gone, and you know, perhaps the reason he, he 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 did light the place up when he was on loan in Holland, and perhaps he didn't light the the, the Real Madrid B team up. Um, it's you know perhaps we might see you know a, a change in form, but at the moment, as I say, I think he's been the standout player so far this season in in, in Spanish football. Right, Terry, I think we'll leave it there, shall we? Uh, obviously, Champions League uh, rounds coming up, isn't it? And it starts early, so if you want to watch... Uh, it's Real Madrid, isn't it, who start... I think they're in the... Let me just check. Yeah, they're in the 6 o'clock UK time, 5 to 6 UK time slot against uh, Brugge on Tuesday. And then uh, Atletico just, away... Just what we need, John. Yeah, yes, yes. Just what we need. Uh, did we have How many consecutive days of Spanish football have we had? Because the oh, yes. last fixture of the midweek finished on Thursday, and then Friday night, Vieira Betis. Yeah. Um, well, at least we get a Monday so off now, uh, don't we? Because the the, the, exactly. the judge came in and gave us the Monday off. So yeah, actually, welcome, <laughs> judge. The Supreme Court. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then, so yeah, actually, well, so Monday off. Uh, yay! And then, uh, and then we've got Barca <laughs> Wednesday home to Inter uh, Valencia. Let's hear Ajax is good, isn't it? And then Thursday night again. And then we're back into it yes. again, Betis on Friday night. And all of that. So we'll be back with more Spanish football. Get into your questions uh, through the week. We'll be trying to watch 900 minutes of Spanish football before we see you again <laughs> uh, next weekend. Right. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.
Does anybody want breakfast? Guys, let's go. I'm leaving for McDonald's in five seconds. Why do you start with that? The Breakfast Stampede Meal. It's only at McDonald's, where there's a meal for every morning. And nothing says morning like a classic sausage McMuffin with egg. Right now, get this all-time favorite for just two bucks on the one, two, three dollar menu. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.